Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome all of the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This is a special broadcast with authors Thomas Norman DeWolf and Sharon Leslie Morgan for a discussion of their upcoming book, Gather at the Table, The Healing Journey of a Daughter of Slavery and a Son of the Slave Trade, that will be released by Beacon Press on October the 9th. This book is the chronicle of a shared journey towards racial reconciliation. Informed by genealogy, it deals with race, social justice, and healing from the traumatic wounds of slavery. Over a three-year period, the authors traveled through 27 states, visiting ancestral towns, courthouses, cemeteries, plantations, antebellum mansions, and historic sites. They engaged in deep conversations about how the lingering trauma of slavery and racism shaped their lives and continue to profoundly impact America. Thomas Norman DeWolf, author of Inheriting the Trade, is featured in the Emmy-nominated documentary film Traces of the Trade, which premiered at the Sundance Film Festival and on the acclaimed PBS series POV. DeWolf speaks regularly about the healing from the legacy of slavery and racism at conferences and colleges throughout the United States. Sharon Morgan is a marketing communications consultant and a nationally recognized pioneer in multicultural marketing. An avid genealogist, she is the webmaster for OurBlackAncestry.com and is a founder of the Black Public Relations Society. Well, how many of you would even consider, just think about it, even consider taking a journey with a slave trader descendant and or an enslaved African-American descendant. Well, I as well as all of you are probably wondering the same thing. So let me give a warm welcome to Thomas Norman DeWolf and Sharon Leslie Morgan. Sharon and Thomas, welcome to Research at the National Archives and Beyond. Thank you for having us. Thanks very, very much. It's wonderful to be here. 
Well, it's wonderful to, to hear you you talk and to share this journey with all of us. I mean, I have some personal observations about the book, and one of them is that of teacher, because I felt that, that that's part of what you're doing, you're teaching. But, Thomas, I see that you, you do refer to yourself as the son of a slave trader. Tell us, what does that mean to you, and how does it feel to have that information as part of your family legacy? You know, when I... <clears throat> Excuse me. When I first found out about the family connection to um, the slave trade, was about oh, eleven years ago. I mean, I'd, I'd heard of it twenty, thirty years ago, but the first time that I heard about it, it was sort of in a long sentence that these people from two hundred years ago were slave traders, rum runners, and privateers, and it was like one big long word that sounded like something from the Pirates of the Caribbean. And it I didn't feel any particular emotion or, or strong connection to it. Um, but then when I was invited to participate in an international journey to retrace the triangle trade, um, the route of the triangle slave trade from um, this country to Ghana in West Africa and then to Cuba where the DeWolf family owned five sugar and coffee plantations, um, you know, discovering that there were 40 different ports that they traded in in the North and South America and the Caribbean islands. It was, uh, I mean, it's a journey that, that definitely changed my life. And the, you know, the it's a distant connection. Um, when you look at it genealogically, uh-huh. and yet the the reality of this nation's founding, um, you know, the economic driver and the cultural and social reality is that this is this is a country that was founded and grew on the stolen labor of African people who were brought here against their will, along with the annihilation of indigenous people who were here before the Europeans arrived. Uh-huh. And, you know, sort of recognizing that, you know, in, I guess, kind of a gruesome but realistic way, we're standing on the, the, the bones and and blood of, of people from from long ago. And, and you know, that legacy continues with us today. So I, I don't think that I feel a, a stronger... I take that back. I probably do feel a stronger connection because of the family connection to that history, but the recognition is that we're all connected to this history by virtue of our you know, relationship to this country and, and by our very humanity. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that you would say you, you heard about it 11 years ago, but it wasn't until you took that journey, I guess, that the reality really hit you that indeed this this impact is, was very profound to what happened in America. Yeah, I mean, I, I first learned, I think it was around 19, oh, I, in fact, I know exactly when it was, it was in 1986 when I got married. My wife and I visited um, a distant relative of mine uh, back east who was a, the family genealogist and, and you know, distant relative of mine, like fifth cousin twice removed or something. And, and he's the one who, who who 
introduced me to this whole concept, but I, I think as a white person and as a white man, part of the reality is that I'm I'm socialized, I'm trained um, not to see this connection between myself and this heritage. I think that's part of the way that racism works, the way that white supremacy works, is that you know I'm I'm not trained that way. I'm, I'm trained to see the world through a particular lens, mm-hmm. and it, it's quite different from the lens that you know Sharon views the world, and and the way that she was socialized and and enculturated um, as as. You know, we're just raised very, very differently, and and I think that's one of the realities of the the, the color line um, in this nation is that as a white person, that's just okay. the way that well, we're raised. Yeah. Well, let's hear uh, from Sharon because Sharon, you refer to yourself as the daughter of slavery. So tell us what it means to you to have that knowledge of your family history. Well, for me, I think, like Tom said, we I've, we've been socialized very differently. In my family, as a genealogist, I have been able to track my family on both sides back pretty far, and I can now name specific people who were enslaved, and there are at least a dozen of them, and that's mm-hmm. a very painful realization when you find that out. When you find out that your family was enslaved and then you can actually put names to it, it makes yes. it very, very personal. Yes. And after all these years, I feel like I now know these people from whom I came in mm-hmm. a very visceral way. And coming to terms with that, I think one of the first responses that you have is to feel very angry because it is something that has been hidden and it is something that people didn't talk about and it is so hard to find the records and you know that as a genealogist as well. Yes, absolutely. That this effort is incredibly difficult. So there have been moments along this journey that Tom and I have talked about where I can be very angry about things and my anger is is different from his my approach to this my feelings about it are different so it did, it took a lot to be able to build a relationship with somebody who's on the other side of the coin and it has been the healing is in progress so it's something that will have to continue but it has strengthened me in many ways to be able to fill out my history and to be able to take this journey. Tom and I are not connected. I, we have not proven that his, any of his ancestors' ships brought my people here. Okay. But he, it represents this big concept of how do you cross the divide. Well, let's and talk about that. we're doing that. our best to cross it. Yes, indeed. So here you are, a black woman, a white man. You're writing about the trauma of slavery, the cycle of violence, Wounds, healing, reconciliation, truth, trust. Break this down for us. Help help us understand your journey so that we could understand what it means to talk about gather, gather at the table, 
So, Sharon, let's begin with trauma. How do you think that the trauma during slavery impacted you and others? One very obvious thing is our feelings about ourselves. And I think that we have some extreme issues that we're still dealing with. The issues of domestic violence, the issues of our children not having a sense of the future and sort of being suicidal and doing these really awful, violent things today because we don't have the same connections that other people might. It's really important. Everybody wants to know where they came from. And everybody gathers something from that. And trauma is passed on from generation to generation, and there have actually been scientific studies that show that you inherit DNA, not just the color of your eyes and the texture of your hair, but you actually inherit the trauma of past experiences, and you continue to pass that along to your descendants. And people didn't realize that before. But we have, you know, after slavery, then there was Jim Crow. So we've Mm -hmm. just had this long history of being discriminated against and treated in in abusive ways, and it all accumulates into people that are psychologically damaged. And we have, have not had the advantage of being able to have any kind of counseling or anything to fix it. So the only counseling we get, are the things that we do for ourselves, and genealogical research is one of those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so you but, get over, the way you get over trauma is first you have to confront it. You have to confront it. And realize that you did, that you had trauma, that you had a traumatic experience, and it is something that you have to get over. Once mm-hmm. you confront it, it's sort of, a lot of it is self-healing, because just acknowledging that it happened is a very, very big thing. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that that you did mention in your book, you talked about the whole cycle of violence. And so, so Tom, just help us understand what what is Sharon talking? She's talking about trauma, but what is this whole cycle of violence? And where were you exposed to this this cycle of violence? Sharon and I have both um taken classes at the Center for Justice and Peace Building at Eastern Mennonite University in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And one of the the key programs there is called STAR, Strategies for Trauma Awareness and Resilience. And this is where we learned about these cycles of violence. And if you get an, an image of two connected circles, like a big circle eight, and and the the instinctual reaction to trauma is to either act in against yourself in a cycle of violence, which, you know, it it may be psychological, it may be, you know, drugs or alcohol, it it may be just really deep-seated anger and and you may be questioning God. Um, And then there's a cycle of violence where you're acting out, you're demonizing, creating the enemy into the other. And there may be blame, there may be physical violence or psychological violence where you're acting out against the others. And the the way that trauma is perpetuated is by remaining stuck within these cycles of violence. 
And so learning to be resilient, learning to find the ways to break out of those cycles on you know on a healing path, a healing journey, um, is the way that it, it becomes possible to heal. And and so this is where, you know, Sharon and I were exposed to this this the whole concept of being resilient and and healing from trauma and this star program lies at the base of the program coming to the table which is where Sharon and I met and and you know the star program is focused on all sorts of trauma recent trauma war terror what have you and coming to the table is focused specifically on the historic trauma of of the system of enslavement and and using this trauma healing journey for that specific uh, type of trauma. And and so this is where where Sharon and I met at a a week-long class on coming to the table. It was a five-day class all day long every day. Um, And and so that that was where uh, we first encountered each other in 2008, in June of 2008. Okay, and you mentioned, I mean, part of the STAR program, you said healing. So, Tom, I mean, what does this really mean, healing? You know, I, I part of the, the, I think, the beauty and the challenge of this whole journey is that's going to be, there, there's not a simple answer that works for everybody, what what I need to heal myself is going to be different from what Sharon needs or you need, um, but the 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 concept is that there's there's kind of four pieces to this to this journey, I guess, to this healing journey, and and so the approach that is used um, is is one where. There's an acknowledgement, an understanding, a learning about what happened in history, the ramifications of what happened throughout history. Um, there, the, a second piece is connecting with other people, and you know, developing the kind of relationship that Sharon and I committed to develop with each other, which is authentic. It's accountable. It's we're going to stay at the table when it gets hard and it is going to get hard uh-huh. and the healing portion um of this is you know this the the impact the 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 treatment based on skin color um you know continues today and it continues to cause pain and trauma and and so the understanding that historical trauma and working towards Healing in however whatever ways that we can do so together um, is it, you know it's gaining the awareness it's it's like any disease which is what racism is is understanding the cause and then working on the treatment for the particular way that that disease expresses itself within individuals within communities of people and and you know with nations and then the final the fourth piece after history and connection and healing is taking action and and finding your way to actively work to undo the systems of oppression that exist to help heal the damage to the extent possible and and so that that's sort of the model in a nutshell right and sharon do you do you believe that this healing can take place 
Very much so. I, for me, like I said, it's still a, it's it's a journey, and it'll probably continue for the rest of my life. But yeah, there's a great deal of satisfaction in finding someone who's willing to admit to own up to the history and being committed to changing the way that we walk forward because this world can't continue to be the way that it is. The mm-hmm. racial divisions and the, you know, the wars and all the bad things. We're some very damaged people and we need to we really need to heal and I feel like I've made a lot personally. I've made many steps toward that. And it is that process. And like I was saying, a lot of it is self, self-actuating so that once you set off on the journey, that's a healing thing in and of itself, the fact that you want to. And then as you keep walking and you are able to resolve problems in a different way, it's like instead of being responding to someone someone who treats you in a bad way, instead of responding back in a bad way, you kind of learn to elevate your responses so that you're not perpetuating the cycles of violence, so that you're not abusing yourself, you're not abusing others, um, and you just kind of think about the world in a in a in a different way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, I mean it. Yes, it's very therapeutic. It is, I feel like I'm, I'm a much more peaceful person. Yes. <laughs> I'm not as angry <laughs> as I used to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we're going to talk more about that. But let's talk about this whole issue of reconciliation. Who's doing reconciliation with whom? And what does this really mean? It's both. I think that it is. It is both sides. I think historically. I have always felt that the burden has been upon black people. We have always wanted to have peace. Why do white people not like us? Why do they treat us the way that they do? Why were we enslaved? I mean, how was that possible? How could someone form their brain to do that to another person? And that burden isn't just on us. It's on everybody. In order to be a slave master required a huge psychological change that dehumanized the people who did that. So they need healing, too. And in many ways, I think they need it more than we do. Uh, So it's a reciprocal thing. And Mm -hmm. in our relationship and in writing this book, it was really important that we come to this as equals. There was a time when, you know, white people would kind of adopt somebody black and say, well, oh, well, I have black friends, so I'm okay. But it was a very unequal relationship. And in our case, with Tom and I, it has not been that at all. I mean, it is definitely equal. Uh You can state your opinion. You can have whatever feelings that you have. There have been times when we've been angry at each other. And it's how do you get through that to the humanity of the person. So you're not just talking to a white person or a black person. You're talking to another human being. And Uh you're treating them with equal respect and, you know, just total equality. So right. I think that's one big part of it. Right. Well, we have a question coming out of the, the, the chat, and the question is, do you think a truth and reconciliation for this country would do any good on a national level, something to get the conversation started about race and healing? Yes. Yes. That's a real short answer, but 
Yes. yes, yes. I used to live in South Africa, and I was there during the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Hearings, and they really did make a difference, even though they didn't go as far as they should have. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to go and deal with my next generation here who fell down. Right. Well, we're going to take a quick break so you can go deal with the next generation, and we'll come back right back in one minute. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. You have been listening to Sharon Leslie Morgan and Thomas Norman DeWolf discuss Gather at the Table, the healing journey of a daughter of slavery and a son of the slave trade. Now, I have a question. I think this is a question coming in from area code 203. Would you like to ask a question, area code 203? Yes, yes, I would very much. I I want to thank Sharon and Tom so much for all these insights. Um, I'm I'm from Connecticut now, but my family is in South Carolina. I'm a daughter of slaveholders, or a great-granddaughter of slaveholders, and I... I've written a memoir on Sharon's exact question uh, from my white ancestors. How could someone form their brain to do this to other people? Um, And I am kind of the family genealogist now and doing the reunions in the family tree. I have recently identified a second cousin who is black, Uh, and who lives near my family in South Carolina. I wrote to six of my family saying, could we get in touch with him? Could I call him uh, for some of this that you talk about, acknowledgement, connecting, healing, uh, and coming to the table? Two of them gave me positive answers, and four crickets. (laughs) I hear nothing from four of them. How would you suggest... I proceed in in trying to uh, make connections to this person, and I've, I've also been talking with Robin Foster, who says that that blacks today are glad to know their kin, but I I'm not so certain that it will be happy news to him that that we're his second cousins. But I'd like to do something positive to help towards reconciliation. How can I do that? Okay, Sharon and Tom. They have refused the contact. I'm, I didn't understand no, that part. Nobody or... has refused the contact. I wrote to six of my relatives who live near this man. 
I have uh-huh. not contacted this man. I can call him or email him at initiated contact, but I wanted to know uh, what my six relatives would say. Two of them said, yes, contact him. Four of them I haven't heard yet. Now, I read an article, Tom, about your journey that you reached out to 200 of your relatives and nine of them wanted to make the journey with you, and I wondered if the other relatives put up a fight. You know, um, it wasn't actually me. It was my cousin who made the film, um, and she's the one who reached out to 200 people, and she heard back from about 60 Yes. And 140, she got no response from. And yes. so we don't know, you know, why they did not respond. And of the 60 who did respond, there were nine of us who went on the journey. And But but keeping in mind, in that particular case, this was going to be, you, you had to have the ability to take off about six weeks or so right. over the course of a summer, and you had to pay for this. So you had to have the financial ability um, to pay for travel and, and expenses sure. as well as taking off time. So it's certainly understandable that not very many people have that I'm ability. You're raising kids, you've got a job. Yeah. But, but the willingness, we've had, we've had people who were opposed to our, our family project uh-huh. and remain opposed. Uh-huh. We have others who were opposed who've come around once they, you mm-hmm. know, read my first book or saw the film um, you know, inheriting the trade or traces of the trade, um, they came around when they realized that the goal here is acknowledgement and healing. It's not to beat yeah. anybody up. Yeah. And and uh, you know the the experience that we've seen with many members of coming to the table mm-hmm. has been mixed. It has mostly been uh, positive. I would say that 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 even though it's a difficult conversation, that people are willing to have the conversation. Uh-huh. And and so whether it's, you know, white people making contact yeah. um, towards people of color or vice versa, yeah. um, for the most part, the responses have been, have been positive. So um, would you suggest that the, the few people who want to make contact should just go ahead? Does that risk? insurrection in the family, I, I don't want to create a worse backlash. <laughs> you know, as white people, I'll tell you a great story I heard from Edward Ball, who wrote Slaves in the Family. Oh, yes, I love that And story. he had all kinds of family members who were really upset with him. I for, know. You know, like, yes. black people are going to hate us. They're going to attack us. They're going to demand reparations. This is the worst thing ever. Oh, well, of course, yes. when his book came out, none of that happened. Right. And he says, now all of a sudden, most of these folks are pretty excited to be connected with this book and this <laughs> story, right? and and that some healing has taken place as a result of it. And and That's I mean, wonderful. my encouragement is, as a white person, my encouragement is to always be willing to reach out humbly with acknowledgement yes. of the history uh, and and the the family history, and see what happens. I mean, it it. Maybe that there's no connection made, but it it may be that there that there is. And you know, the coming to the table as a group. You know, Sharon and I are not the coming to the table group. We we took our own particular path. Yes. But you know, the coming to the table uh, website. Um, there's a coming to the table Facebook page. Uh-huh. 
okay. um, that, you know, coming to the table dot org. Um, there's plenty of folks that you can join the social network and have conversations with people who have more specific experience in connecting with okay. um, people that they're directly connected to than than I have. Uh-huh. Um, that that I think you might find might find useful. And and you know, I, I, part of this circling back directly to Sharon and me is knowing that I have a friend is a, a big part of, I think, the healing journey. You mean and to have a friend in Sharon? Have to, to know that Sharon is my friend and that yes. I am Sharon's friend. And that through coming to the table, we have many other friends, people that we trust, black and white, yes. um, that are working through these issues, is having a community of people who are on the same journey in some form or another is... Yeah. It, it's helpful knowing that yeah. you're not alone in this. And because there are sometimes, as a white person, I'll only speak for myself, where you'll have white relatives who really do not appreciate you reaching out like this. And, and so having having other yeah. white people and people of color yeah. that are supportive of this is, is really helpful. Our family has the what they consider the extra shame of of uh, an Ill- illegitimate child there in the past and and I I personally think they should get just get over that and go ahead and reach out but I'm not going to tell them that but I that's I I I take your advice to just go ahead and then they'll come around I I wanted to ask Sharon one more uh, we're thing. going to we're going to move on to some other questions okay. thank you uh, caller okay uh, you you do mention in the book truth and trust, and certainly the caller is saying that she has truth. But Sharon, have you uh, encountered people who are just not willing to share the truth when you talk about genealogy and tracing your roots? There's this this wall, this challenge that many African Americans uh, come up against because they're unable to. Find the truth. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And the brick wall, the proverbial brick wall that we have all faced, is something that is a great barrier because before you can understand everything that happened, you have to dig up these facts. And for us, it is so hard. And I don't really have an answer to that other than uh, the exercise. Just doing it, just trying to find it is a big deal. And whether you're rewarded or not, the process is important. Mm -hmm. I have, though, found that people who stick with it, you ultimately find something. You may not find everything, but you find something that will satisfy some little part, and that little part can can be so meaningful. Mm-hmm. But there was a time when I didn't have any of these names, and I tell you now I have 12, yes. and now those 12 are leading me to others. And I have this kind of mystical idea that our ancestors want to be found as much as we want to find them, and if you keep looking, they find ways of letting you know where they are. You mm-hmm. walk into a cemetery, and you find yourself standing right there above a grave with a gravestone with a name and dates that you would you had no idea you'd be able to find. Uh-huh. So they want to be found, and I think that we just have to keep looking. 
Yes. And that is that in and of itself is very satisfying. Right. Well, now, Tom, um, you know, I, I read that you read Desmond Tutu's book, No Future Without Forgiveness. Now, how did this book impact you? You know, I think part of the it, it, part of the understanding of history is educating myself, and you know that particular book, the work of of Desmond Tutu, um, and, and just a whole wide variety of books. I, I find that <clears throat> to be my responsibility you know, as a human being, as a white person, as a man, to understand what it is that other people bring to the conversation. And, you know, I just, I look to someone like Desmond Tutu as one of the just great thinkers and heroes and um, action takers um, you know, of my lifetime, of of the past you know century, okay. and and so you know, reading his words are both inspiring and enlightening, educational, and I I I think that's one of the one of the things that is has been sorely lacking for white people throughout you know the past several centuries is reading and listening and hearing what people of color have to say about these issues. You know, I wasn't raised to read black authors. I read white authors. That's what was in the school books. That's what was in the classrooms. And and so, uh, you know, one of the things that has been my one great hope about uh, Gather at the Table is that I'm hoping a lot of white people will pick up this book and hear Sharon's voice. And that may be the first time that they have really listened to a person of color expressing um, herself as, uh, you know, the way that Sharon does, which is really powerful. And I think that it will be really useful. So, you know, that's one of the, that's certainly one of my personal goals with, with this, with this book and with the journey that Sharon and I continue on. Yeah. Well, um, why don't Sharon let's let's hear your voice. Tell us about this journey and why did you do this? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really want. There were times I asked myself that same question. <laughs> I mean, Sharon, let's let's face it. You know, when you have two human beings, it could be two white people, it could be two black people. If they don't know each other and they come together to go on a journey, they're going to have some experiences. So yeah. <laughs> okay, so you and Tom decide, hey, we're gonna get together and do this journey. How was this journey organized, and why did you do it? What we talked about a lot was that in order to confront what happened, you have to kind of revisit the scene of the crime. So, informed by our genealogy, we plotted out an itinerary. It took us, we drove in a car where there was no relief from the other person for 6,000 <laughs> miles through 27 states. So we visited places where his people came from and places where my people came from. We went to, I mean, we went to Backabush, Alabama and dug up gravestones. We went to farm country in Iowa 
that I had never been to before and where there were no other black people. Uh, we spent a night in a, uh antebellum mansion in Natchez, Mississippi that had ghosts that didn't turn up the night that we were there, fortunately. And we just decided that we had to see these places together at the same time so that we could compare how we reacted to them, what we thought about them. An example on the plantation house was that Tom really didn't want to stay there. And I really did because it's like I want to see where Miss Ann lived. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to have the experience from the other side. So we went, he stayed, and it ended up being a really good experience. We had a very long talk with the lady who owned the house, and it had passed through six generations of her family. And we talked about politics, and we talked about reconciliation, and we talked about slavery and sharecropping. And we think that we were able to say some things that were meaningful to her. And she's like a a woman in her Mm mid-80s. So it was seeing things at the same time in the same place and comparing what we thought about them. And that's a lot of what we write about in the book. Okay. Now, and it was just that you have to enter the other person's space in a personal way. It can, it's not something where you meet at a cocktail party and you have nice little chit-chat over hors d'oeuvres about the, quote, race problem. This is, we're living this. We are actually doing this every day. We are committed. Tom has now met my family. I've met his family. You know, we've had some very, some very personal experiences. I mean, being in a car for a month. <laughs> was a very personal experience. That's a very personal experience. I, I, you're right. With now, somebody the, that you know and love, it's a hard thing to do. So yes, it is. It, it, it is indeed difficult. It is indeed. Uh, Tom, what about you? Why did you do this? You know, when I had the sort of eye-opening experiences that I had um, that became my first book, Inheriting the Trade. It was, you know, standing in the slave dungeon at Cape Coast Castle in Ghana and imagining the horror that that people experienced in this space and also imagining the role that my distant ancestors played in in that terror. Um, it, it just... It just Changed me completely, but at the at the end of that experience, the big question that that was just at the top of my mind all the time was, now what? So what? You know all of this. What's next? What do you do with all this information about all this yes. terror, this horror? And for me, that answer came through my involvement with coming to the table, and 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 you know taking a, a step back for a minute to understand trauma and understand how it impacts us and and really then trying to understand it from other people's perspectives and spending time with black and white people who have these same questions and same challenges and and so I, you know for me it was that follow up and I I wanted to write about my experience of this what next uh approach through coming to the table and and you know with Sharon we met in 2008 um and didn't particularly get along uh when, when we first met but over the course of the following year we both participated in a number of gatherings um that were organized in one way or another through coming to the table 
And so by the time we were together in Jackson, Mississippi, about a year later, um, we talked about this and, and talked about why don't we write a book together? And, and you know, and so we, we recount this entire experience in the book about how right. we got together and why. Mm-hmm. But really the goal for me was, number one, that, that the whole concept in our book is people from the opposite side working through these issues together authentically and accountably with each other. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wanted to, I, I wanted this experience with a person of color and particularly with a woman because there's all the gender issues that get thrown into this as well. And mm-hmm. and so balancing both, um, you know, race and gender in this relationship. And, and, you know, we talked about it and wasn't very long before we agreed to dive into this and and you know next thing I, I that we both know we're down in southern california with me sleeping on the couch at her cousin's house and you know it's like i'm walking into this black, black family's home and and you know, wondering what must these people be thinking about their cousin yanking this white man into our house mm-hmm. and and you know and then you know a few months later sharon and i and my wife lindy we're on a plane bound for Tobago, you know, the southernmost island in, in the Caribbean, and spent two weeks living in a plantation house there, one of the grand houses, uh, great houses, uh, and one of the few, maybe the only one that, that's remaining um, on Tobago, and just powerful, powerful experiences there. And so it just unfolded, and, and, and you know, like Sharon said, we've been east coast to west, and north and south, and and overseas, um, and, and and so for me that was it. Is that is was it, right? Answering well, my own some, question, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's some questions coming out of the chat. We're down to uh, a little more time, but I do want people to know that we are going to have a book giveaway, and uh, it's going to be to the first person that calls in to with a question. So if you want, if you have a question, six four six two zero 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 four nine one. And press one, you um, you will get a book. Uh, there's a question about coming to the table. If you can just tell us one thing about coming to the table, so that someone will understand what are you talking about. Uh, give us a, a, a one minute elevator explanation of coming to the table. Coming to the table is a group of people that are the descendants of slaveholders and the descendants of people who were enslaved. In many cases, there are people who are linked. So the actual family that was a slaveholder can relate to a person who was the descendant of a person who was actually enslaved by that family. They're not all like that, but many of them are. And so that's come, it. Come, okay, are they located all around the United States? They're all over the United States. There's sort of an, it's sort of a national um, effort. But there's regional groups in Seattle, in Oakland, in, in Virginia, in New York, in New England. And, you know, it's just a group of people wanting to address the legacy of slavery. Uh-huh. And and I, I would encourage people to go to comingtothetable.org and read about it. There's lots of information there. And go to our website at gatheratthetable.net to read about our specific approach um, to all of this, I, I think that's a, that would be a great way is, is looking at those two websites. Okay, and I have two questions for you. First of all, uh, so many people have added DNA testing to their genealogy toolkit. 
what advice, Tom, would you offer to someone white who is confronted with the fact that they have black cousins? Uh, and by the way, Tom, do you have any black cousins? Um, through DNA, I don't know. Um, I don't have that kind of evidence at this point. Um, but there are people I'm, that I'm in regular contact with who are descended from black DeWolfs um, that were owned by New England, Rhode Island uh, ancestors. Um, but I, I, you know, I just I haven't been able to make that discovery yet on either my father's side, which is a slave trading side, or my mother's side, um, we're, we're, who came from the South. Um, so I don't know, but my my advice, my encouragement is be open to it. Open that door. Walk through. Face the things you fear. That's that's your greatest teacher is the things you fear. It's the fear. The fear is the thing that's preventing people from moving forward. Yeah, because and I'm saying embrace question, that. We do have a question coming out of the chat. How can a white person reaching out to a black second cousin a newly discovered relative, be humble and not offensive? And what can the white person say? Do you want to jump into that one, Sharon? Mm, I think it's just expressing the truth. One person in in coming to the table, uh, when she found her relatives, she reached out on Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday and it was like, well, this is the perfect time to be to do this. And she wrote a note, and she didn't get a response at all. And she said, well, wow, maybe they just really don't want to talk to me. And then she decided, well, she was going to try again. And when she tried again, it turned out that the first message just didn't get through. So the person had mm-hmm. never received it. Mm-hmm. And she got back such a pleasant response that she was amazed and very happy, and they have now formed a relationship uh, that is kind of amazing. Tom and I both know them, and uh, you know, so they're engaged in this work in their own way. So I think that you—it's a matter of just telling the truth. That through genealogical research, I have found that I, you know, we are related, and I would really appreciate being able to talk to you. And I think that most Black people are very open to this. I haven't had any instances of of an African American person refusing a request like that, the problems that I have found have been with white people. And I think mm-hmm. that it is their fear that we want to do something to them or take their money. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, you can't, you have to allay that. When I've approached people, you know, it's like you don't say this. You just start off with we're related and I have all the proof and I'd like to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And they'll usually start communicating with you, and then they realize very quickly that you're black, but you haven't made this big issue out of it. It's like when you see the, ge- the genealogical papers that I send you, it will become obvious. I sort of, in a funny way, started calling myself the dark angel because I really <laughs> have made a practice of finding people. <laughs> right, so you, would, you would advise, so you would advise someone black to just disclose, I am black. Yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. and it's, I mean, you are. So, I mean, yeah, what, right. what can That's you say? Right. I mean, you, you'll well, find out. And if you get a out. negative response, it's like shame <laughs> on them. Well, Sharon and, and Tom, now, if you had to take to this journey again, would you do it? Absolutely. 
In a heartbeat. <laughs> I, you know, I had to ask you that question. <laughs> you know, the, the, I, one of the things that I that I'm so pleased about with my friendship with Sharon is that we this has become a, just a real rich relationship that goes far beyond discussion of only it's not just about issues of race i know her grandkids she knows my grandkids we know each other's kids we spend time with each other's families and and with each other and we just we just have a blast i mean sharon's at our house and i'm watching my wife and sharon you know sitting side by side with their crochet needles whipping away and and you know we play games we we talk when we're having struggles on on just regular everyday issues and you know developing this kind of relationship it's you know that old song from the 60s you want love get closer well uh-huh. that's really what this work is all about we're scared of the other our particular uh-huh. focus is on race but look at christians and muslims look at you know men and women look at old people and young people there's so much so many ways that we are broken in our humanity from each other, the 1% versus the 99%. And and so we, we constantly are creating this vision of the other and, yes. and breaking down those walls and building relationships. Boy, you know, somebody said if we could solve racism, sexism and religious intolerance, everything else would fall too because they're all they're all the same at their core. And it's yes. that, that fear spoken of. Right. Well, we have a question coming in from area code 262. Area code 262, Hi. do you have a question? Hi, Bernice and Sharon and Tom. This is Truea. Hello. And, um, yes, I was calling to find out that when um, you meet your slave owner and the slave person, does coming to the table um, have resources to help facilitate you to move your relationship forward if you if you're kind of like in a rut or stuck. It's kind of in the fraternity of the group. There are people who you can talk to who have had the experience, and they'll be able to share with you what happened with them. And then if you have if you end up having something hurtful happen to you, there are people who will support you emotionally so that you don't get damaged by the experience. Mm-hmm. And there are so it's more it's like a, a comfort circle, so that people just help strengthen you as you walk forward. Okay. So I think that's the benefit of the group. And we have an active we have conversations that go on on Facebook. Uh, we have people who just talk to each other individually. And I think one thing to understand, sort of following what Tom just said, is that okay. anyone who has enough goodness of heart to reach out and do this is probably somebody that you wouldn't mind having for a friend because they start off with that basic humanity and those that basic sensitivity. So it is it would be natural that you would form friendships. And we have. There are other people that we're friends with that are in the group. So, you know, you should not be afraid to reach out, and you shouldn't let it hurt you. I mean, there's been so much pain that has happened before. It's uh-huh. not your fault. You didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And you're just trying to piece your history together, and you need if you, if someone will respect you back and help you on that journey, that's a very valuable thing. And I think that it can grow in a lot of ways that you don't realize. You'll never know if you don't reach out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and there Thanks. and there are a lot of resources at the website. 
um, you know, books and, and resources, and there's a, an online community at the website as well as on the Facebook page. And um, so there's and there's monthly conference calls that get organized on a variety of subjects, um, you know, like relationships, like restorative justice, like, you know, the potential for taking a group trip to West Africa. Um, and so there's a it's a real cool community and growing community. Um, so it's it'd be worth spending some time at the at you know at the Gather at the Table website and the Coming to the Table website. Okay. And when you and read caller, our book, please we, let me just let the caller know. Just drop me a, a email message and give me your information so that we can get it to Sharon and Tom so that you could get a copy of the book. Uh, oh. and my, okay, and so my e- email is Jeannie, uh-huh. Jeannie B4 uh-huh. at Verizon.net. Just drop me a note, okay? Okay, thanks, thanks a lot. I so much appreciate it. Sure. Uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> Thomas and uh, Sharon, we are kind of getting close to the end of the show, but I would like you all to give us just information about your book signing schedule. Well, we are going to be, we're launching the book on October 9th at Eastern Mennonite University in Harrisonburg, Virginia. We will then continue up the East Coast, so we'll be traveling most of the month of October. If you will go to our website, which is gatheratthetable.net, there is an appearance schedule, so it will tell you which cities we'll be in. We'll be, we're going to do Baltimore, Washington, D.C., New York City, uh, some locations in Virginia. So we have a lot of, spa- a lot of spots where we'll be. Uh, in New York, we'll be at the Quaker Meeting House on October 20th. But look at the schedule on the website, and you'll see a complete list. And these are all events where you are welcome to attend, and they are all free. Okay, and if someone would like to schedule an event, who should they contact? There is contact information for scheduling an event on the website as well, so you will find our email addresses, and you will find information about how we do speaking engagements, and you can contact us directly. Just go to the website. Okay, and also, just just so that all of you uh, know this, you can pre-order your book. Uh, from yes, Amazon.com, and I have it made it really right easy. I have made it really easy for all of you, so you can go right to my website, www.jennybroots.com, click resources, and you'll be able to go to my bookstore, scroll to the bottom, and order the book. So the book is ready right now. You can pre-order this book, and believe me, you will be so happy that you have had an opportunity to experience the journey that Sharon and Tom have experienced. And, you know, there is there is a comment coming out of the chat, and it's so true. It says, you have to take the first step and leave the fear behind. Amen. Amen. That's your comment, that's your statement, and this is your end. I am so thankful that you all took the time to share with us, gather at the table. I mean, this is a book for all of us to just read and talk about. So thank you so much, Tom and Norman DeWolf and Sharon Leslie Morgan. Thank you for sharing your book with us today. 
Now, for those of you who are just now listening to Blog Talk Radio and you've never listened to it before, you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. And this Thursday, I have my special guest is Tamala Tempenny Lewis, and she's going to discuss a very interesting topic from the cradle to the grave, everything about genealogy. And Tamala is the newly elected national president of the Afro-American Historical and Genealogical Society. She has been active in, in the genealogical community for 32 years and has experienced in research and restoration and preservation. So please continue to listen to Blog Talk Radio. I want to let you all know that this show is a podcast. So as soon as it's over, you can download it, share it with your friends so that they can hear the voices of Thomas and Sharon. So have a great day, and remember, your ancestors left footprints. And that footprint includes the legacy, the legacy of the slave trade and, unfortunately, slavery. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, research at the National Archives, and beyond. Thank you for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I look forward to you joining me next Thursday. Have a great day. Goodbye. And thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.